All right, Chris, Easter. Is it the only holiday where you eat the decorations? That's a really good question. You know, they used to hang candy canes on Christmas trees. Oh, candy canes. That's a good point. Valentine's, maybe. Because you, you just like the candy. Would it be arguable that like apple pie is a symbol of 4th of July? I think the main decor there is like red, white, and blue, right? Like flags or whatever it is. I have made my fair share of red, white, and blue sheet cakes with blueberries and strawberries and whipped cream. Well, and the decorative Bud Light cans. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 218. That is 218, if you're counting at home, of this very show. That's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. Hey, Reed. I'm uh, certainly ready to crack open a, a can of Bud Light here <laughs> to get us through this episode. <laughs> I just assume there's red, white, and blue Bud Light cans. I don't. I think that's just a safe like assumption. I mean, yeah. they're red, white, and blue. Budweiser is red, white, and blue, or are they just red and white? We digress. It doesn't really matter. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning in for yet another week of Touchpoint. We appreciate it very, very much. Touchpoint.health is the website. That's where you can certainly find out more about the show you're listening to today, the show Touchpoint or the episode 218, both there at the website. You can also find out more about shows and episodes and show hosts of our 20-ish other shows on the network. So I encourage you to go over there, touchpoint.health. While you're there, sign up for the TPS report. It is a Monday morning email that includes five articles to get your week started. Promise not to spam you. And quite honestly, I'm not sure we've ever emailed anybody for any reason other than that Monday morning email. So sign up and let us know what you think about there. If you've got anything you'd like to add to the the TPS report, send us links. Also, people that we should interview, topics we should cover, all that kind of fun stuff. We'd certainly appreciate it. Do want to quickly give a plug for the newest Touchpoint podcast, Healthcare Soothsayers. It's uh, hosted by uh, Dr. Bonnie Clipper. She is a registered nurse former head of innovation for the American Nursing Association, and she has started a podcast here on the network focused on innovation in the future of healthcare. So go check that out. It's kind of like a conversation she's having if you had a crystal ball kind of a thing. Really cool. So you can check out there at the website. We're going to pause here while you do that and be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose Reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com touchpoint. 
that's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. I never thought, Reed, that I would ever say that 2021 could very well be the year that SEO makes a dramatic shift. Dramatic shift. An SEO type dramatic shift. That's interesting. This is not your father's SEO, as we were talking about in the uh, in the pre-show. I didn't see this. Didn't, didn't see this coming. Although I will say, as an aside, which I know we'll get to some of this today, it is becoming more and more apparent that Google has no desire for you to leave the search engine result page. That really is true. They want zero click searches. For those of us that manage websites and things of that nature, when you talk about zero click web searches, that means you have to figure out a way to have Google be able to read your content because they don't want you to leave Google itself to get the answer. Let's dive in and really talk and kind of understand really what we're seeing Got a couple of uh, articles here to cover as we normally do. First one being from our friends, our friends, I don't know. Anyway, we'll call them our friends over at Forbes. Uh, (laughs) It is titled the 2021 Google Algorithm Update. So pretty straightforward. Double down on website user experience. Okay, so I like the second half of that, doubling down on website user experience. I think that makes a lot of sense. And what's interesting about this article is it's a very technical article. And anytime you start to get into Google and SEO and algorithms and things like that, you could get techie very quick. And so we're going to try our best not to get too deep into the technical weeds, but this is very important. They start off by saying the immediacy of user experience is really the main change around what Google is doing to improve its SEO. They're talking here about that there are many pieces to the user experience. Uh, most people, I think, think about that in, in a design aspect. What does it look like? How does it function? That kind of thing. Pleasing design certainly is part of that, but engaging in varied content. Another big piece of it, seamless navigation and overall efficiency and functionality. I think the functionality word is really important here. Functionality is always important to user experience. If it doesn't work, it doesn't matter how pretty it looks like. I've said often, utility trumps design in many cases. And with user experience and usability, that really is top of mind here. Yeah, and they say that you know people visiting websites certainly decide this within the first few seconds. I think I actually read somewhere where the average website visit now is about 15 seconds. Oh my gosh. Wow. Which is not great, but uh, for any of us that have websites. Right. 15 seconds. I mean, that's almost to the attention span of a goldfish, if you think about it. There's a metaphor to think about, right? Web users are like goldfish swimming around fishbowls. Yes. Maybe that's the title of today's episode. You'll never know. Exactly. The article goes on to allude the fact that there's a lot that's going on under the surface that really makes quality websites and user experience a reality. And to Google, because they're always consistently looking at ways to make their content that they're serving up through their search engines or whatever usable and useful, they're focusing very heavily on some of those back-end technical details, right? Yeah, they are. And, and we'll go through several of them here. The first of them that they talk about is is how friendly is it to mobile devices? So they're 
they're showing now that over 60% of Google searches are made from mobile devices. And, and I'm sure that goes fluctuates up and down depending on the industry and those types of things. I know we're seeing in, in healthcare, depending on hospital, health services provider, it kind of depends a little bit, but yes, it's certainly north of the 50% mark and has been for some time. And so, you know, that UX as it relates to mobile should be the top priority. So I think we're quickly moving from mobile compatible design, if you will, to mobile first designing things. And so how does it look on the mobile device? Maybe where we start from a design standpoint versus starting at the desktop and then retrofitting it or using technology to make it responsive. They talk a lot in here about uh, using AMP pages. So the uh, energy drink. (laughs) (laughs) AMP is that standard that Google has set for mobile websites. Uh, And and they even created a whole AMP page experience guide as a way to help developers look at and analyze their website performance. So anyway, that's the first one on the list is, is the mobile friendliness component. The second one is around safe browsing. This addresses the fact that many web pages nowadays, they can feel a little bit spammy, choppy, and they even categorize under safe browsing unresponsiveness. And that causes people to, when they're surfing the web, to maybe hit your site and leave within that 15 seconds. A lot of the safe browsing efforts that they're trying to do really tries to address the bad things that are out there, malware, spyware, malicious scripts or whatever that may be running on people's sites. But this even extends now into ad content. Those annoying pop-ups that pop up and you, you're trying so hard to figure out how to close it so you can actually read the content underneath. Mm-hmm. All of this is kind of under this general category around safe browsing. And certainly there's some pieces to that. And that leads into kind of the next piece here is the HTTPS, the security piece of it. So the safe browsing, I think, kind of goes hand in hand with this. But they talk a lot about data encryption and the, the, the role that plays in, in the user experience and even the design of sites. And so they're, uh, they talk about the massive amount of sensitive underlying and, and even stuff like payment information is exchanged, obviously, on Internet or on the websites that we go to every day. Everything from you know, me tithing, making a donation, if you will, to the church, I do it through the website, to you know, buying things on Amazon or you know, whatever it may be. And so that SSL certificate really plays a, a big role in this and making sure that we're at an HTTPS because a lot of, if you don't have that, you're going to get the, the, the safe browsing like warning, like, you know, this may not be a safe site, you know, don't proceed, you know, kind of a thing. I've seen already some of those and sites that if they don't have that SSL, they're going to get flagged, right? So I've seen those where you, where you search it, it says this may be an unsafe website. That's because they're not detecting that secure socket layer that's needed for this. Here's another one, that another category that has a great title to it. Non-intrusive interstitials. Interstitials. I'm going to how to work that into a Zoom call this week. <laughs> Maybe that's the newest movie by uh, Christopher Nolan. Non-intrusive interstitials, a sequel to Tenant. No, but really what they are, uh, interstitials are things like pop-ups or the things that say, you know, we're tracking cookies on this website. While Google agrees that all of these things are important to the user experience, they don't want them to be annoying. They don't want these pop-ups to kind of take over the screen and make it harder for people to experience the website. They indicate here, right, you won't be penalized for disclaimers, cookie usage information, sensitive content warnings, login dialogues. And those that are kind of responsibly proportioned, they say, like that do not block 
all or most of your screen. But boy, oh boy, I cannot wait for that day when I hit a website on my phone and that mobile ad doesn't take over the whole screen. Still have that happen so much. And I think we'll see some of these pop-ups go away around like some of the cookie-related stuff, you know, i.e. a couple of episodes ago. Things that we're having to put on websites now certainly will, will go away. But all things to think about, certainly, as you think about optimizing the user experience. Yeah, they actually call this, Reed, they call them the core web vitals. Core web vitals. Yeah, the Google's core web vitals. And they actually have a lot of literature they just recently published around what this looks like. I feel like interstitials. Is that a Stevie Ray Vaughan song? (laughs) That's superstitious. Sorry. These are all related to what they call Google ranking signals. Google ranking signals is kind of the code word for saying those things that make you pop up at the top of the search engines, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, do, how do I how do I show up just below the ads? Exactly. Exactly. There's other things that this article suggests that you could do around improving your ranking signals and your usability, including upgrading your hosting service so that you have a fast, responsive host for your website. Compress all your images. Boy, can we please compress images too, right? Mm-hmm. Whew, yeah, yeah, and re- resizing them appropriately, that kind of thing. Redirecting broken links and pages. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they talk about that in here. Observing user behavior. This is interesting. If, p- if people haven't done this, I would encourage you to go find one of these services where you can do the heat map tool, like on the website, mm-hmm. to see where people are clicking and moving and that kind of thing. It's fascinating to see like X amount of people don't scroll past this point or you, know, you can kind of see where their mouse is and all that. So all things that really will help in, in the development and, and uh, optimization of that user experience. I would say it's more than fascinating. At times it can be very humbling too, because you think you designed a really nice website and people are just like all over the place. That's right. These are the things that we all have to keep in mind, right? So not only do we, you and I say that user experience is kind of a priority for marketing. Now Google is saying it's a priority for marketing. Yeah, Google says it. I guess that's where we'll all be. It's only going to become more crucial as we look at uh, SEO in the future. One of the big things that if you're managing a website or you you have a team that manages a website, make sure you get familiar with these Google core web vitals. But that's not all that's changing. There are many other things that are occurring from an SEO perspective. And we're going to talk about a few more of those when we come back from the break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. So staying on the Google trend, because we talked about that obviously before the break, I don't know what you talk about with SEO if you don't talk about Google. 
<laughs> I mean, there's there's other things, I guess. Just no one I deal with at least cares about the other search engines and such, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, we, we're key on an article that that we found. You know, we talked about the Forbes article beforehand, but this one's from searchenginejournal.com, which is a really interesting site if you want to nerd out on... Um, and we share a lot of the articles from, from the Search Engine Journal on the TPS uh, report as well. But really interesting you know, on the more technical side of the equation in most cases. But anyway, this one, tracking Google's knowledge graph algorithm updates and the volatility around that. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So before we jump into some of those algorithm updates, what is this knowledge graph business? So knowledge graph in, in a very broad or kind of high level standpoint is really what Google uses to enhance those search engine results. And so they gather you know, data from a, a myriad of sources. And so they, they kind of take all that into uh, account to then fuel and kind of inform what those search engine results look like. Not only the maps, which everyone kind of knows, right? When you Google and there's maps that pop up. Or maybe that left bar that pulls something from Wikipedia or your Google My Business listing. I was looking today for Rolling Stone songs, for example. It pulls up little thumbnails of each Rolling Stone song. And you can actually click on the video directly from that. These are all knowledge graph types of things. It's all around this whole point of Google not wanting you to click through to anything to get your information, right? Yeah, there's no real like list of like everything they take into account. But Again, to your point, you Google something or somebody or some whatever, and it's it's all that information that it's pulling in from other sources. So it could be links to their social channels. Obviously, Wikipedia plays a big role in this, and they're just kind of sourcing information from around the web to hopefully answer your questions before you would click through. I guess it's important, right, as we think about SEO, that we talk a little bit about some of the the changes that are there now. This article that we're linking to can get really technical in nature. So let's not go down into the technical. We kind of pulled it out a little bit. Some of the key pieces here, Reed, they said that Google has been playing musical chairs with this data. So there's really two major findings. And you can go into the details in this article, but what are the two major things that they found? Well, in in first, just as a sense of reference here, they say that they update this every two to three weeks and that that affects or impacts 60 to 80% of, of uh, entities. Wow. Like that's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> we just think about like what's all out there. It's amazing. Every two to three weeks they do that. That's just crazy to think about like how frequent that is. When we look at this, what are two of the things that they kind of highlight? One and the first one being the core algorithms have fund have a fundamental reliance on popularity. The probability that the inbound you know link leads to your site, like where the knowledge graph like finds the information, is is based on probably like the popularity of it. I mean, it's got to be truthful, right? Like it's got to have some reliability or some authority to it um, or confidence. They say, but it has a reliance on popularity. How many people are looking at it? How often is it being viewed? The other thing that they're looking at is the strings of characters and words on which the knowledge graph relies on to understand what those words represent. I, I know we talked about a couple episodes ago about like keyword stuffing your website, how that was an old kind of old mm-hmm, practice that you used mm-hmm. to do. Well, in this particular case, what they're really trying to do is, is tie together all the different words and characters and strings, et cetera, to give more context for what the site is and also start to delineate what the different types of intent are. 
You know, Google has been doubling down on this whole concept of using artificial intelligence to try to understand intent. And I think the knowledge graph is going to be one of the places they're going to be experimenting with on that. I would think so. I mean, you know, in very short order, if people find your information useful and relevant and access it a lot, Google's going to serve it up, right? Because again, uh, it's around popularity and them basing their ability to interpret intent. That's what we've always seen, like certain blog posts oddly do really well, like for a hospital or something, because it, it found a hook with that intent piece, which drove the popularity and it just kind of fed on itself over time. It's really interesting to think about how this has become like the grand experiment and maybe even front and center for artificial intelligence and, and its application to search engine algorithms. I long for that day. Do you, uh, I think it was last week's episode in the interview where they were talking about 300 people sitting in a warehouse being the Ask Jeeves search engine, right? Just going and plugging into the Yahoo and stuff like that. Now we're going to automated solutions. It's just fascinating. Now, if you really want a, a deep dive, a, a technical read, Click through this article because it's from Search Engine Journal, which is a very uh, techie website. But there's one other thing that we wanted to kind of touch base on before we go to the interview. This is interesting. So get your pen and paper, 19 SEO tips. Now this comes from HubSpot and, and they obviously dabble. No, I'm kidding. They, they do an awful lot in the SEO space. We're going to kind of rattle through these. We'll spend more time on some than others, but um, to kick it off, they talk about spending as much time on the search engine result pages as you do in tools. And in addition, you need to master the SERP overlap test. The SERP overlap test. If I've said it once. <laughs> Just really quickly what it is. Go into incognito, search for keyword A, find out where your website returns, and then search for another keyword B and see where the difference is. The difference in incognito search for keyword A versus keyword B tells you how Google is looking at the intent of both. Number three, aim for the featured snippets in the search engine results. The fourth one is consider is focused on on-page SEO, which we talk about a lot. Consider on-page SEO, but not everything you publish has to be search-friendly. You don't have to keyword stuff your page. You don't even have to worry about the key terms and all that. What you have to worry about here is making sure that what you're publishing is answering questions and is useful to the user, not so much keyword-laden. Number five, uh, target a variety of high and low volume keywords. I think that's interesting. Certainly, it's easy to go for the big words like orthopedics or something like that. But it's uh, also interesting to kind of get creative, they say, and look for where those opportunities are with some of even the lower volume keywords. And speaking of keywords, make sure you prune some of those keywords. It is spring. You want to consider pruning some of the content on your site to ensure that you're directing the right traffic to the right places. Yeah, it's nothing worse than it's like, oh, wait, this is really great information. When is this from? 2012. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, I don't even know if this is accurate anymore. The next one on the list, number seven, consolidate web pages using redirects uh, and other types of tagging. So this is really important, especially as you rebuild and expand websites. Certainly there are former links and things like that you promoted that you don't want to go to broken pages but also like 301 redirects when you do the new site and things like that. So you want to make sure you hold that equity that you've built up over time. Hey, speaking of building up equity over time, the historical optimization strategy is number eight. <laughs> <laughs> 
And again, it's it's back to older blog posts. So the historical optimization is important if it's still relevant. And so that means go back and rewrite that copy if it's getting you a lot of traffic and it's still relevant. The next one on the list, not quite as relevant for most of our hospital folks, but is to train website visitors to search for your brand. So the idea here is, or the most logical one, and I think they even mentioned it in here, yeah, Amazon. So people append the word Amazon to the search phrase that they're looking for. Probably is not going to happen as much with hospitals and healthcare systems. But again, you know, it's kind of that, that idea that, you know, they think about you when they want things done. And so how do we, you know, make sure that we can get that additional equity, right? When people are searching. Additional equity that naturally leads to things like page authority. You want to make sure that your, your page is out there. Authority happens over time, but it also happens by having people point to your site. In a realistic way, they say here is, you know, guest post on other people's site that links back to your site or have like the media mention your website. Those are big things. We're going to rattle through a few here just in the interest of time. Uh, They talk about leveraging the pillar cluster model. I would definitely encourage you to go check that out. Create a link building strategy, which I think there's a lot of opportunity there for folks. Don't change URLs. Uh, What are a few more? A few more are around like what you do with your multimedia files and your text files, compress and optimize those files. Make sure they're, this kind of relates to that usability thing that we talked about before. Add alt text to every one of your images. And oh, here's one that I'm surprised it made the list, but it's very important. Leverage call to actions as often as possible. Yep. Wow. That's a new idea. Yeah. We should ask people to do things. Form good relationships with your developers and designers. Obviously, uh, having good ones there that, that understand those best practices is really important. Periodically conduct a technical SEO audit. So really understanding URL structure, the site architecture, the XML sitemap, page speed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then finally, they talk about check, double check, and triple check your data. Great article, you know, go, go dig in, click through in the show notes, several things that, you know, I think could be top of mind, depending on where you are with, with your opportunities and and strategies to uh, kind of dig into. Absolutely. So we talked about core web vitals. We talked about Google knowledge graph and we gave you 19 straight SEO tips. Is there more to SEO? Yes, there is. And it's in the interview that we're going to go to right after this break. I had a chance recently to sit down with Daisy Quaker, who is an SEO expert. She works with hospitals across the country, and she focuses a lot on how to use SEO as a way to amplify your content marketing efforts. So she spends a lot of time looking at the holistic user experience. We talked about that in the the interview. And then we also dived into how do you talk about SEO to people who think they're SEO smart, but maybe they really aren't. So we talk about how to talk about SEO in the boardroom. It's a really fascinating conversation. And we'll be back to close up the show after that. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast, and I am delighted to be talking with someone that I met, Daisy, I think you and I met, oh, I don't know, it was prior to the pandemic, which feels like 20 years ago sometimes, (laughs) um, at a conference here in uh, Minnesota, and we met in person, and I've been dying to get you on the show since then. That is Daisy Ree Quaker. 
Daisy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad um, I'm glad you invited me on the show. This is exciting. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I'm, in, I'm excited for the conversation we have ahead. But before we jump into that conversation, I would love for you to share a little bit about your background and what you are doing today and why I have invited you on the show. I'm an SEO content marketer. And I've worked in the SEO industry for about 10 years, going from I started out creating blog content to leading SEO strategy across various organizations, going from agency in-house. And now I'm a freelancer. And uh, I currently work with clients in e-commerce and healthcare, which kind of feels like the right time to be at the intersection of both of those worlds, selfishly. But yeah, that's what I do. Well, you've been doing SEO for 10 years. Now that made me stop for a second because SEO has changed a lot over the last decade, hasn't it? It has. It's it's gone from something that people barely understand to just, I don't know, Google's a global name and people understand SEO a lot more nowadays. I might want to append that a little bit and say that people think they might know SEO, but today we're going to be talking about the fact that SEO is actually... Maybe not exactly what they think it is in that it's kind of expanded a little bit over time, hasn't it? It has, for sure. Now we're, we're teasing the topic, but let's dig into <laughs> that. So what was SEO like 10 years ago? And how have you seen maybe some of the advancements and the changes occur, not just in recognition, right, but in how SEO can be used now? So 10 years ago, SEO was keywords. You basically looked up search volume for a keyword, you stuffed it onto a page, ideally through a blog post in as many ways as you could, different places, and then you had a unique page per keyword. Google was ranking sites uh, based on how many keywords you had on your site, but also how many links you had, that sort of thing. And you'd have a page per query, as we like to call it. And now with um, Google's advanced like machine learning algorithms, uh, natural language processing, it's become a lot more complex and people's search queries have gotten longer, they've gotten more complex. They've, it's not just like a place where people go to, say, research a topic. It's really just like a reference. It's looking for services. It's answering something. It's images. It's just it's so multifaceted nowadays. And it's not reserved to just like, I'm trying to build a pool in my backyard, you know, like it's sort of become a part of our lives. We Google all the time. I say Google because it's the main search engine, at least in the US. And so we look up a lot of things throughout our process. And especially if you think about it in healthcare, we're not just looking up conditions, which people have been doing, but just like post op care, we're looking up doctors, we're looking at their ratings, we're looking at hospitals, we're really comparing and we're using it as basically a touch point throughout our health experience, healthcare experience. I'm trying to remember back, like way back in the early days, I would always be, I remember just kind of brainstorming, what's the right word that's going to find me what I want, right? <laughs> and and I would look yeah. for, this comes off of, you know, before Google, I guess it was Yahoo and others where they had lists and, you know, like directories of keywords that we could, you would drill down and then finally you would click on it. So Google came around, and I, but it was still very much, I'm just going to keyword load up my search in order to try to find the right thing. And then it was like a hunting expedition. But over the last 10 years, the natural language processing and everything that comes along with it, 
I think it, it it's, it's fundamentally shifted. And one of the things you highlighted is that the search queries have changed dramatically now. Tell us a little bit about that. They've gotten longer. What else have you seen with how people are searching? So people search in different ways. So voice search has become a thing. You're getting more questions or even if you type, we call them head terms. So you, you type in something that you're not really super specific about. What we know is based on how many queries people have typed into Google for the last however long it's been around, it has built this technology of knowing and matching your search to the intent of your search. So it's like user intent is a part of how Google functions to the extent that it can it can anticipate what results you're looking for. So you don't necessarily need to type a specific query. You can type in a string of words and it will understand typically, not outside of like the unusual circumstances, but it will typically understand where you're trying to go based off of knowledge built on just watching search for over, over a decade. People use Chrome, people use Google on non-Chrome um, browsers, they use Google Android phones. So it's just sort of, it has this index of how people search that is just like mind blowing. But it's also really helpful in that if you're trying to understand how people search, you just have to look at how they display the results and what information they show because that is based, built on proprietary knowledge. So what you just described to some people may seem a little scary, right? So it's not just (laughs) keyword loading anymore. Google has like gathered so much data about how people search that it can now deduce from your, what you're typing into a browser or what you're typing into the search query, it can deduce intent from that. And that's pretty sophisticated. That uses a lot of things on the back end, like artificial intelligence, machine learning, those sorts of things, right? To kind of power that. Is that right? Yes. And it also, it, it can be something like you can look up certain queries and you'll get list type of articles. Other queries will give you how-to articles. You won't necessarily type in, I want to see a list or I want to see a how-to. It just knows based on its intel what information to also provide. So even the format of the information or the context around it, it sort of just has it all mapped out. Do you want to see a video? Do you want to see a how-to? Do you want to see a recipe? Do you want to see an article? Like the search results are really intelligent that way, but they're also so intuitive that most people just don't notice that happening. It just meets their need. I guess they don't even think about it, right? They just are like, oh, I'm finding what I want. This is useful. And then they go back to using Google again and again and again. And so suddenly we kind of built this Google is smart, right? Or And, and the other search engines, there are other search engines out there, but we acknowledge that. But they're very smart in terms of gathering that data. But now applying that to the way users, patients, potential patients are searching in healthcare that's important. That's incredibly powerful to know that now Google kind of understands intent based on where they're at in their overall experience, right? Yeah, it understands intent and it also ranks pages and websites that match that, what the user is searching for. So it's a, it's a really powerful way to decide how your content should look based on what the pages that are showing up for the queries you're trying to um, rank on look like. I'm having trouble visualizing what that what that could look like. Can you give me an example? Yeah, yeah. So let's pick orthopedics knee pain. When you type in knee pain, it's not a very specific 
uh, query. So Google doesn't know if you're trying to see a doctor, if you're trying to understand what your knee pain is, when to see a doctor, um, how to relieve the pain. So when you type in just knee pain, sites like the Mayo Clinic that answer overall symptoms, causes, what is knee pain, are what's shown. But in the bottom, like right under the first query, what I'm seeing is people also ask. So people also ask is like Google's guess at what you're trying to do, but it doesn't have enough information to really provide those results. And what the rest of the first page will be is just generic information. Um, I'm seeing, again, treatments, causes, there's stories. They don't know if you want to look at stories around knee pain. So it's just very broad. And it will also show you images. Google image search is a growing field within SEO communities because there's a lot of people that will just click on images to see like answers that way. If people are visual, we're all visual learning creatures as well. As your search kind of gets a bit more complex, so say I type in knee pain treatment, for example, now Google understands that I'm trying to solve my knee pain. So the change, the results change to match that. So Again, I'm seeing a little bit of like the first result changed from do's and don'ts from WebMD, but there's also home remedies. There's exercises. So it's starting to get a little bit more complex. And then when I start to, I start to search, for example, knee pain doctors, which is actually a fairly popular term I found out the other day, knee pain doctor will be a list or potentially like a listing that shows me who to go to and a page that answers here's a knee pain doctor. So what kind of doctor can I see for knee pain is a question that people also ask. When should you go to see a doctor? So if I was creating a page for the orthopedics department, I would not necessarily go after knee pain. All of these terms are competitive, but if I had to pick, I'd say chances of somebody coming in to see a doctor would be higher when they're searching for knee pain doctor or knee pain treatment or knee pain surgery. Surgery would probably be really popular. And those are the kinds of queries to go after. And then on that page, I would look at what the people also ask box is showing me and what the top results are, because then I know, okay, there's a couple of questions people have to help them make the right decision, but they also want to see doctors. They want to see ratings. Um, they want to see some sort of like, it's near me somewhere. So that's how I would sort of adjust. And I think looking at this, one of the sites that starts to come up is like health grades, where a lot of their pages are showing doctors, for example, near you and how much, how they're rated and that sort of thing. And Google knows that that's what people are looking for. But you wouldn't like know that going in because you just be like knee pain, but it's really knee pain doctor or treatment or those kinds of searches where you can match what the user's looking for with the services you want to offer and like make that a happy link. So that's really interesting because the other day I was talking with someone about a licensed health library content. And a lot of that is around like those symptomatic things. But quite honestly, what you're saying here is because of the way Google knows the intent, if I really wanted to optimize my pages for, let's say, my orthopedic uh, surgeons who, tr who treat knee pain, I shouldn't worry so much about key keyword stuffing knee pain on the page and all the different things. I should be more focused on sort of that intentional, those questions. What type of doctor should I see? How good my doctor is? Those sorts of things. It's, that's a dramatic shift now in how we look at content on pages. Is that a fair way to kind of connect the dots? Yes, that's basically looking at serving the user and matching the intent that Google tells you they want to see because Google's intent is user-driven. The more people use their site, the more successful they are. 
So they want to keep people using Google for as long as possible. So their motivations are really satisfying that user intent. So if you match your content to meet that user intent as well, I mean, granted, there's other things that go into SEO, including like how your site set up, your folder structure, your backlinks and all that stuff, but kind of keeping it content focused. If you can match the content to meet the demands of the user, your page will also have a better um, performance. So Google also tracks how many times, say, if you rank really well for a keyword, but people show up on your site or they click on, on your search result and then they go back, it will track that. And over time, you might see a dip because it can tell that people aren't having a good experience. I think of like all these organizations that are getting into content marketing and we keep talking about content marketing and content strategy, right? And all these different ways that you can start to build out content. And it seems like what you're saying, then your content strategy could be vastly different depending on what you're doing. Say, for example, if you're building a service line set of pages for your hospital website, as opposed to maybe creating blog content to address different questions. Tell me a little bit about how people listening in, maybe they they start to think about these things in different ways. So I would say separating the two, the purpose of your, for example, your website content, and specifically your like department pages would be getting users to take the next step. And so removing as much, I can be a little bit Spartan about this, but removing as much distraction from the user taking the next step as possible is usually where I lean in on. And putting content marketing, SEO content marketing, which is a huge field in and of itself, but putting informational, research-based, not sure if this person is looking for a doctor or a treatment or an exercise on your blog and focusing on ranking for a shorter set of queries for your website content because it'll make you a lot more focused and also having that funnel. Say you rank for knee pain doctor and on your site, you just talk about knee pain doctors and then you link to a few articles on your blog. Well, that actually misses the intent of the user because you're not showing them doctors. The Google's already telling you people want to see a doctor on your page or people want to understand how long, if it's a complicated surgery, I'm just thinking of another example, but knee pain surgery, people might want to understand how long to go back to normal. So maybe in that instance, it's providing a patient story, which I think can be really powerful when used appropriately, but providing stories and examples of how quickly you can get back to normal if you come in and see a doctor or what you can take next, because there are certain services where you can't just walk into a hospital and see blank doctor. I'm just right, right. <laughs> so like, what can you do next? Do you need a referral? Okay, then here's how to see blank doctor, just kind of guiding the patient to really just meeting their service and understanding that you have different levers you can pull based on what you're trying to achieve. And whenever you're thinking about your content assets, which is what I like to call them, they're really assets. They're sort of like you can have your department pages being very uh, oriented on meeting a need and getting people to take the next step, whatever that next step looks like. And on your blog pages, it can be helping them and maybe signing up for your newsletter because then they can get the next blog post or email or join liking your Facebook page so that they can see you on social media. There's always like different levers you can pull based on what you're trying to achieve. And I think the other thing that trips people up in this space too is when we create pages for AdWord campaigns that are trying to, because AdWords, you're paying for the keywords. So you really want to use that keyword throughout your page that are trying to be used specifically for marketing. 
that are almost identical to existing pages and not de-indexing those. So that kind of creates competition as well. So there's a little bit of cannibalization where two pages might be meeting the same rough intent and where you could just sort of consolidate those efforts and funnel your search traffic towards one page and your PPC traffic towards another, those pages end up competing in search results, which leads to a whole other cascade of like attribution and conversion rate problems and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a domino effect, right? On all of your advertising and, and everything else, all the other performance indicators across that. It's really interesting to think about it that way. And I know that before we started recording, I mentioned to you that the, I always think of our digital experiences across the customer journey. What really you're painting for me here, Desiree, is like kind of a, an approach where you have to do SEO differently at different stages of the journey. Is that is that kind of what you're the the picture you're painting here? Yeah, you don't want to overwhelm people with too much information. You kind of have to think through a SEO user intent lens nowadays, not just SEO, because I think when you think of just SEO, it kind of gets people tripped up in terms of okay, we just need to like rank for this keyword without the focus of like what is that user experience for the person that shows up on the site you know what is that experience going to be are they going to actually get the help they need are they going to get the information they need or is it a muddled experience where it's kind of like a dead end and you kind of want to avoid those two because those will lead back to people clicking back and looking for a different result and over time you'll be thanks for that as Google has evolved, obviously our strategies have to evolve. This is making me rethink some of the things that I've been in my mind thinking about SEO over time. And now I have to start to think about this differently. I think it, it totally aligns with everything that Reed and I have been saying for years, right? Is that we have to re-architect our digital strategies around the customer and what they want more. And SEO is not uh, exempt from that uh, approach that we're taking, right? Mm-hmm. In addition to your point, it's that it doesn't it also just doesn't stop with the initial query cuz now we're all digital and i don't know last time i saw a doctor but before i go in to see a doctor i will have searched whatever it is that i'm like dealing with and maybe i'm a super user but you know i will have a, a very rich research journey especially if it's something that's really um important to me and after I see a doctor, I'm going to have a different set of questions that I'm also asking. So how can SEO sort of kind of supplement the information you get? And sometimes, you know, it's a piece of paper that I lose immediately right away because I just like <laughs> throw things away. But how can SEO be used to not only get people in the door, but also provide care after the after they've sought out treatment? How can it be used to help build a brand? Because you can really build a brand long-term with SEO content by being there when people are searching for you and by providing the right information. So how can it, you know, hospitals serve a certain area? So how can it start to build that profile in that, you know, vicinity by providing not just like come see our doctors, but also post-care instructions and if you're wanting to see a physical therapist or something, if that's going to be part of your care treatment, like how are you providing information to help patients after they see a doctor, not just before? That's really, really smart advice there to think about that too, because I often find myself at Google starting all my searches, even though I almost know what what that local 
brand that I'm looking for, I just type their name in Google and and whatever my question is, right, to get that. So SEO is used not just at the front end to, for acquisition efforts, it's used all throughout the entire experience. So fascinating. One thing I want to ask you about, Daisy Ree, is that I know that others like myself that work in the hollowed halls of medicine, right? When we talk to others like doctors, even, even directors, VPs, even the C-suite, they sometimes have a misperceived notion about SEO and the best way to approach SEO. Do you have some tips about you know those discussions with, with maybe the, the person on the other side of the table that may or may not understand this the right way? I think the, the first touch point I would go to is data. What does your performance look like? And, and I think that's like, I hope that everyone is using Google Search Console to track their traffic to their site. But if they're not, I would highly recommend the tool because it will give you a sense as to what are the keywords, what are the queries that bring people to your site currently. And I think this is like one of the best ways to sort of have like, this is where we're at. We might think we have this page because a lot of sometimes, I'm not saying a lot of times, but sometimes what the content on the page is doing is it's not serving patients, it's serving the people internally, like doctors or heads of departments or that sort of thing. It's worded differently. It's worded for other physicians, really complex, hard to understand. So just kind of understanding like this is how much traffic these pages are getting. These are the queries that they're showing up for or they're not showing up at all. And here's why can really help to like bring up that sort of like, okay, so what do we need to do to fix this? And so I think it takes away the esoteric, like SEO is good. We can all agree that it is, but it just kind of brings it into a more practical, like this is where you sit. This is the performance the pages are are at, basically. This is why, um, and this is where we should try to go next. And I think that kind of also brings like, a level of um, empathy or proactiveness from the other person because they're able to like bring themselves on that journey by themselves too. They might be some like denial. Um, right. <laughs> right. You know, you can work through, but <laughs> I think it's like, I am not like the most data centric person out there, but I have used analytics and search console pretty heavily to just validate what I'm trying to say without me having to say it because I think when when you show people the right amount of information, most people will come to the same sort of conclusions, which ideally is the best way for me to communicate stuff. And then I I don't sound like a crazy person, which is great. (laughs) And you frame it around, you're actually framing it around, like, what are we trying to accomplish? What are some of those KPIs that, that, you know, what's the performance? And look, this is how it's performing now. Is this what we wanted, what we anticipated? I think that that makes a lot of sense, right? It, It kind of takes it out of the... I, I think a lot of people get kind of lost in the old school sense of thinking about SEO. It's just like, well, we don't have the right keywords, or we're not saying we're the best orthopedic doctors in this area. Not to say that that isn't an important search term, but it's probably not as important as it was five, 10 years ago, right? Yeah, I would say that, you know, it's, I, would, I wouldn't even say like a hospital should try to rank for best anything because those are like listicles. Right, right. <laughs> like Interesting in there you're getting like a lot of pages that have like a lot of listicles and what i'd say is also just how how that also potentially gives the other person an opportunity is to be proactive in it versus being like the reactive like just 
being said, like, you need to do this, it hopefully invites people to the table because there are all sorts of ways that people search nowadays. And it's really powerful to have different, like, feedback and dialogue based on what the SEO keywords are, but also, like, what the patient experience is because, you know, hospitals are, are tricky and it's not like e-commerce <laughs> where you can add to cart. So, you know, some of the issues might be if we bring a patient to this, to this page, where are they going to go next? And how are we going to like pass that on? Like, what is the next touch point? What's the most logical touch point? And that might bring, well, they have to call this hospital and this number on the day, or it might be um, they have to fill in the form or they have to set up an account, but just sort of like thinking through that and helping people see not just the keywords, but the people behind the keywords, which is really what excites me, ironically, is just bringing empathy into digital marketing and in content and in how words are written on a page and in the queries that are showing up and kind of like seeing that from the lens of like, what is this person trying to achieve and how can I help them achieve that? People find meaning in their work in different ways. And that's how I find meaning in my work is just helping people get the information that they need. Wow. I love that. I know that working in healthcare is 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 very much a purpose-driven a pursuit, but just by the way you frame that, it, it extends to all aspects, including SEO. Daisy Reed, this has been a really great conversation. I really enjoyed some of the things that we talked about today. And I know that people that are listening in, they may want to know a little bit about you. Would you mind sharing with them ways they can find you online and connect with you? Predominantly my site. <laughs> That's HireDaisy.com. HireDaisy.com. <laughs> I was trying to be really subtle. I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter at Daisy Quaker. HireDaisy.com. That's good SEO. So um, kudos for you <laughs> for doing that. No, that's thank great. You. We're going to link to all of that in the show notes. And uh, Daisy, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing your insights. I really appreciate the conversation. I appreciate it too. Thank you for having me, Chris. This has been delightful. Special thanks to Daisy for coming on the show. Appreciate her time and energy and willingness to come on and share some knowledge. Uh, Always great to have folks that uh, subject matter experts really kind of weigh in and dig in on on all these uh, really nerdy topics. Really appreciate appreciate her. (laughs) Sign up for the TPS report. We've mentioned that there's five articles. One thing we did not mention about the TPS report is that there's a link to all upcoming industry conferences and kind of online learning, uh, depending on the, uh, the, some of these being hybrid offerings, for example, there's great stuff in there around the upcoming Mayo Clinic, ShishMed collaboration, uh, then the other ShishMed events, healthcare internet conference, healthcare marketing physician strategy summit, uh, and many others. So jump out there that have dates and links and all that stuff in the article uh, or in each email. Uh, let's see here. Let's jump into some recommendations. What you got? I'm going to recommend uh, something that I just recently saw on Hulu, which is a documentary about WeWork. Now, you may recall I mentioned a podcast about a year and a half ago where I was listening into the rise and fall of WeWork. This is a documentary that follows Adam Newman, who ran uh, WeWork. It's fascinating because it clips together videos of him and actual interactions of not only him 
doing internal, like kind of motivational conversations to everybody that works at WeWork. But then they had, the, WeWork was famous for having these weekend camps where they would take everybody that was at a WeWork yeah. facility and take them to upstate New York and have these camps and showing the basically the inside of it. It's almost the dark side of it. it tracks the entire rise and fall of WeWork. Now WeWork is still there. It's under new leadership now. It's just really a fascinating show and it's very entertaining. So if you didn't listen to the podcast I recommended a year and a half ago, go out to Hulu and watch this documentary. It's it's awesome. Very cool. Man, that was a year and a half ago. I am going to recommend something that's going to be very useful to all now work at home people. And I guess if you go back to the office too, but everybody has an office or desk chair Many of those have wheels on them and those wheels or casters are horrible typically unless you like bought a Herman Miller chair or something really nice. So I replaced my wheels on my desk chair with a particular caster. So imagine putting rollerblade wheels on the bottom of your chair. So they roll around real smooth carpet, hardwood tile doesn't matter. And uh, you can buy them on Amazon. They're like 35 bucks, but it is really cool. They're universal and uh, there's several different brands, but they're replacement casters for your office chair uh, that are rubber and they, they, they look like a rollerblade wheel and uh, man, it just works so much better. And uh, I will say they do, if your house has slope to it, you'll just kind of coast across the room. But um but yeah, check those out. It's well worth the $35 and uh, you don't have to worry about scarring up your wood floors with uh, crappy um, casters that came on your chair. I had flashbacks, Reed, when you were talking about this to when I was a kid, I had a skateboard with those clay wheels and then those rubber wheels came out and I, I remember going out into the store and purchasing the rubber wheels and taking off the old clay wheels and putting those on and it just was like a whole new world. It sounds like this is... This is similar to that. I know I just dated myself by talking about that, but still, it seems like a very similar kind of thing. It's a it's a very similar thing for the millennial audience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we haven't mentioned the millennials in a while. All right. So, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Another great episode, another great show on SEO. Let us know what you'd like for us to talk about. Reach out to us, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, email. Sign up for the TPS report over at touchpoint.health. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to be listening. It's still uh, one of the best ways people find out about us. We thank you, thank you, thank you very, very much. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.